Well, good morning. I have a few things I'd like to, to say to you as a church family before we dive into our, our teaching for today. First of all, I want to say that it's a huge honor for me to be here this morning. I know you value the preaching of God's Word, and for the past few months, my good friend Jeff Vanderstelt has been laying a new foundation for this, this reformed church called Doxa Church. And I told him last week as we were talking, I said, Jeff, I understand how big of a deal it is that you would ask me to be the first person to fill in for you while you're gone. So I thanked him and I want to thank you for coming today. And I know that you're here for Jesus and not for me, uh, but I am sobered by the responsibility that I have to help lead all of us together through God's word to see Jesus more clearly. So thank you, first of all. Secondly, I want you to know that I am thankful that our Father has called Jeff to serve this church. And I seriously mean that. Even though you did steal my friend away. (laughs) No, really, as elders, we prayed and fasted and talked and waited on the Lord until it was clear that Jeff was supposed to come up here to Bellevue to help reestablish this church. And I am very thankful, though it has also been difficult It's been difficult for us as a church family and organizationally and and for me personally, but I am truly grateful for the work that God is doing here in this church family and thankful that Jeff gets to be a part of that. And then finally, I want to say something to you about Jeff since he's not here in the room. Some of you are thinking, oh great, finally get some dirt on this guy, but I'm, I'm not about to gossip about my friend. I just have to say that Jeff is a dear friend who I love very much. And this church family is very blessed to have him. I know you know that, but I want to do what I can do to honor my friend as a new leader here in his absence. And I just want to say the thing that I value most about Jeff as a leader is that he's the real deal. Jeff lives out what he preaches, not perfectly, But Jeff lives out what he preaches. He has a deep passion for Jesus Christ. He's always spinning around gospel truths and not just how they would apply to everybody, but how they apply to him. He has a love for the church of Jesus Christ. He, by God's grace, has both confidence and humility because the gospel has produced those things in him. He wants to share leadership. He wants to make disciples. He endeavors to make disciples with his life Life on life, life in community, life on mission. I just want to honor my brother and just let you know you're very blessed to have him. And I'm thankful that he's here. In fact, this morning he texted me asking me to tell you that he misses you and that he's praying for you and for us this morning. My prayer for this church family, for Doxa Church, has been that many, many people on the east side would hear about the fame of Jesus and respond to him. That's my prayer. And so now, Holy Spirit, as we open the word, please, please be a help to me. I need you as we just sang. So I know we just met, but I'm going to pour my heart out to you for just a minute. The last eight months, I've experienced the most difficult circumstances of my life. I won't go into much detail, but I've experienced relational challenges, personal spiritual challenges. I've experienced 
challenges in my marriage. Our church has experienced leadership challenges. We've had leadership transitions. Right after Jeff was called to Bellevue, we sent another group of leaders out to start Soma Federal Way. So we went from seven elders to four in two months. I've experienced several friendship transitions, which have been difficult and totally overwhelming workload, the sale of a home, the purchase of a home, and major health issues in our extended family. It's been crushing at times and the cause of deep sadness in my life. And a few weeks ago, I finally broke down and sobbed uncontrollably for several minutes. And so you might imagine my reaction when I got a text message a few weeks ago, and I noticed that there were two specific words in the text. The words, good news. Good news. And before I even read the text, I immediately thought, you know, I I could really use some good news right now. I could use a little lift in my spirit. And almost instantly, the Holy Spirit sort of jumped in, and he said this. He said, the gospel provides an unending source of good news, a constant source of joy in every circumstance. The gospel provides an unending source of good news. You see, I realized that lately I'd been believing that my joy was dependent on my circumstances. I'd fallen into that trap, that hole, that lie. My joy is dependent on my circumstances. Anybody there with me? Anybody fallen into that hole? Do you believe your joy is dependent on your circumstances? Another way of thinking about the question is, do you believe that anything other than the gospel, which is sort of the shorthand for the good news about who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, that's the gospel. So do you believe that anything other than the gospel will increase your joy? Do you believe that having a little more time on your hands will increase your joy? Do you believe that having a little more money will increase your joy? Do you believe that having healthy relationships will increase your joy? Having happy kids will increase your joy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if the Seahawks would have just given Marshawn the ball, (laughs) you would have a little more joy? You're like, yo, that's definitely true. I, I don't know about the gospel, but that's true. Do you believe that you could just use one little text message with some good news just to increase your joy? Well, that's where I've been. And later that same week, I asked Jeff what passage he wanted me to preach, and he said, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. And then I read the passage, and I thought, man, Holy Spirit, you are really smart. You're going to work this out in me before I get to go share with my new family up in Bellevue. So I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there. I am going to start by reading verses 3 through 5. That's the passage Jeff preached last week. Because in verse 6, Peter references back to those three verses. So we're going to need that information fresh in our minds today if we're going to understand verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I think what Peter is saying through this passage is that because of the gospel, we can have great joy in the midst of suffering. Because of the gospel, we can have great joy in the midst of suffering. Let's start in verse 6 where Peter gives the call to rejoice in suffering. Peter says, in this you rejoice. Both the NIV and the New American Standard say, in this you greatly rejoice. That Greek word is the same word that's found down in verse 8. We rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, and it literally means much leaping. Much leaping. You might remember the story from Acts chapter 3, where the man who was born lame sat by the gate to the temple and begged for money. Peter and John come by, and Peter looks at him and says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, there's the same Greek root word right there, leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and, here it is again, leaping and praising God. I wonder if Peter had that man in mind as he wrote to his his readers in 1 Peter 1. You should have much leaping. Like the man who, who Jesus healed through my words at the gate of the temple. In Acts 16.34, the Philippian jailer and his household responded with rejoicing, with much leaping when they believed the gospel. Now, what is the basis for this rejoicing, this much leaping? The answer is in this, where Peter points back to what he talked about in verses 3 through 5. Last week, Jeff preached on the past, present, and future mercy of God. That is the basis for our rejoicing. I just want to unpack it briefly for you. Peter mentions being born again to a living hope. What does that mean? Well, we know that because of sin, we are dead to God. Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your sin. And when the Spirit of God comes in, He regenerates you. He makes you alive 
in God with Christ Jesus. Through faith, your sins are forgiven. The Spirit comes to live in you. And Jesus says that that transformation that occurs, you going from death to life, is so profound that it's like you're born a second time. That's a graphic picture. And then Peter says you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you. Both of those are familial language. You've been born again and you have an inheritance. What does that mean? It means you're in God's family. See, your sins aren't just forgiven. You're not just saved from the wrath of God that is to come. You're not just clean and holy and righteous, though all those things are true and reason enough to rejoice. There's more than that. You're part of God's family. You're adopted into God's family. You have the creator of the universe as your Abba, your daddy. And Peter points to all of those things and he says, in this you should rejoice. You should have much leaping. That should be the response of our hearts to the good news of the gospel. And my hope, even in this very moment, is that those of you who've heard those things hundreds of times are not sort of like yawning or like water off a duck's back, like, yeah, 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 I've heard this. Like, no, this is the gospel. Without it, we have no hope. It should produce much joy in us. But then here's the crazy thing about verse 6. Peter takes this exhortation to rejoice in the midst of suffering, and he puts it right alongside an acknowledgement of the reality of their suffering and the need to grieve in the midst of it. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. See, Peter's writing to believers who are suffering as a result of persecution. They are being persecuted for their faith. They're being hated, reviled, tortured, and killed because they bear the name of Jesus Christ. Suffering is one of the themes of 1 Peter. He uses the word 17 times in five chapters. Now here in verse 6, he uses the word trials instead. He'll use that word again in 1 Peter 4.12 where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. That's the same Greek word there as found in chapter 1 verse 6. As though something strange were happening to you. So here in chapter 1 verse 6, he's talking about this suffering that's the theme of his book. And he acknowledges the reality that though you should rejoice in the midst of your suffering, you also should grieve your pain. That's a strange paradox. Peter's looking at people who are suffering and he's saying, do you know what you need to do? You need to rejoice and grieve. That doesn't make any sense. Or it doesn't make any sense to us because of the lens through which we view the world. See, the only way that you can embrace grief And joy in the midst of suffering is when you view life through the lens of the gospel. When you view life through the lens of God's story. See, God's story is the only story that makes sense of both grief and joy and actually encourages us to engage in both at the same time. It's the only story that holds out that kind of hope for us. Because in God's story... There is great brokenness in the world, but there is a caring, loving, good God who's in control, who's over all of that pain. And more than that, he actually entered into the pain through the incarnation. Jesus became a human 
He took on human flesh, took on the form of a bondservant, and suffered. I think Jesus suffered more than any human who's ever lived. So God isn't just over suffering, He's in suffering. And now, through the Holy Spirit, He's in your suffering with you. And someday He'll come and He will wipe away every tear from our eye and He will make all things new and right. And so because God is with us and because God knows grief and pain and because God is going to make all things new one day, we get to rejoice and grieve at the same time. By the way, the only way that you will embrace grief and joy at the same time is when you have that gospel as your lens because the gospel lens puts God in the center instead of you. Every other story that the world has to offer is about you and it puts you in the center. And when you and I are in the center of the story, there is no joy and there's actually no grief either because grief is acknowledging our pain before God. That's godly grief. We don't have either one, but with the gospel, we get both. Because of the good news of the gospel, Peter can look at people who are suffering and say, you should rejoice and grieve. And this is completely mind-blowing when we think about the fact that I could stand on a stage in Tacoma and preach this message, and I can stand on a stage in Bellevue and preach this message, And I could even stand on a stage in Syria or Iran or Iraq or Egypt where Christians are being killed because they bear the name of Jesus Christ. And I could stand there humbly and hold out 1 Peter 1.6 and say, rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice in your suffering. The Doxa Church I know that you have experienced deep pain, deep loss, deep sadness, and deep grief. My last eight months have been nothing compared to yours. I know that. And I've been praying for you for the last two weeks, and I believe there's two things that I need to encourage you to do, and the first one is to grieve. To grieve, which is I just mentioned is to honestly face your pain before God. A lot of us tend to stuff pain. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it anymore. It's been too hard. We don't want to revisit that. If there's any bitterness or brokenness in your heart, you need to acknowledge that before God and grieve the losses that you've experienced. And I'm certain that some of you have work to do in that area and that the Spirit wants to walk alongside of you. He's the comforter the one who comes alongside us to help. And there's others around who can help with that process as well. And at the very same time, I feel called to encourage you today to rejoice. To rejoice in your suffering. And you might think that I'm calling you to rejoice because God's doing something new and there's some good stuff happening. You should rejoice because of that. But even if that wasn't true, because of the good news of the gospel... In spite of your suffering, and even in your suffering, you have reason to rejoice. And I want to call you to that as a church family. Rejoice in your sufferings. Now, verse 7, Peter gives us three results of suffering. And he uses a picture 
an analogy to help us get our brains around these first two results of our suffering. And the picture is gold being put into a crucible, and then that crucible being put into a fire and being heated to 2,000 degrees so that the gold melts down to its pure form and the impurities float to the top. And gold is valuable, but it is perishable. It will not last forever. And so from that analogy, there's, there's two similarities and then one key difference regarding our, our faith. The key difference is our faith will not perish. It will last forever, and therefore it is infinitely more valuable than gold. But the two similarities, the first two results of our suffering are these. Through suffering, our faith is proven genuine. Through suffering, our faith is proven genuine. It's proven to be the real deal. See, in times of trial, we're tempted to throw in the towel. We're tempted to believe that God is not good, that God does not care, and that God is not there. But when the Spirit of God produces faith in you in the midst of trial, when you're being barraged by these lies, and instead you look to Jesus, what happens? Jesus meets you in a powerful way. If you're like me, you have found Jesus to be more real to you in times of suffering than in times of no suffering. Jesus meets you in a profound way in your pain. Your faith is proven to be real. That's the first result. The second result is that through suffering, our faith is purified. James 1 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, or mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. See, when our faith is put into the crucible and put into the fiery furnace of trial, Two things happen. One, it's proven to be genuine. But secondly, the impurities rise to the top. The impurities in our character. We grow in steadfastness. We grow in maturity. That's a result of suffering. And so in the end, suffering determines whether or not we've got fool's gold faith or 24 karat gold faith. But there's a third result of our suffering in verse 7. The tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation means to uncover. It means to show something that was previously hidden. So someday Jesus will be seen, even though we do not see him now. And when Jesus is seen, he will get praise, glory, and honor because of our suffering and our endurance in our suffering. Now this word glory should stand out to you for a couple reasons. One, it's a theme of 1 Peter. He uses the word ten times in the book. But secondly, the Greek word for doxa, or for glory, is doxa, obviously the name that the Spirit has led this church to be called. The vision for your church is that the east side and beyond would be saturated with the glory of God in the everyday stuff of life. 
So if there's a way that we could know that Jesus would get praise, glory, and honor through the way that we live, wouldn't a church called Doxa want to know about that? I'm not sure if Jeff realized that when he gave me this passage, but the word doxa appears twice in this passage. It's great. One theologian says that the predominating meaning of the noun doxa in Scripture is recognition. Recognition. So, I've been experiencing suffering in the last eight months. You've been experiencing suffering in the last eight months. Our Brothers and sisters in Syria have been experiencing suffering for the past few years. 220,000 people have died there. If I endure, if you endure, if they endure, when Jesus returns, what happens? He gets the recognition. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. He is seen for who he truly is. Now, why does he get credit when we endure in suffering? Because he's the one empowering us to endure. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. By God's power, you and I are being guarded in the midst of suffering. And when Jesus comes, you and I will point to him and we will say, it was only because of him that I endured in suffering. Now, for you as a church family, with your stated goal to see the glory of Jesus fill the east side in the everyday stuff of life, this is a huge and helpful point. If you want your neighbors to see the glory of Jesus, one specific way you can do that is to endure and rejoice in your suffering. Now think about it. If you are facing suffering and the people around you know about it, people who do not yet know Jesus, and they actually see you rejoicing, do you think they'll wonder why? Do you think they'll be puzzled by that in the best way? And if you get to have a conversation about it, you get to give glory to Jesus. You get to recognize him. This is a huge way for this church family to fulfill the mission and the vision that God's given you. Now finally, in verses 8 and 9, we find some evidences of genuine faith. Peter wants to encourage his listeners by saying, hey, I see some things in you that prove that your faith is in fact real and genuine, that you have been enduring in your trials. And we get this familiar verse Eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. And when I read those verses, I can't help but think about Jesus' encounter with Thomas. After the resurrection, some of Jesus' followers had seen him alive. They're excited and they tell Thomas, hey, we saw Jesus alive. And what does Thomas say? I don't believe you. And in fact, I won't believe unless I see him and unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes and put my hand where his side was pierced. And Jesus is gracious and eight days later, he obliges Thomas and shows up. And Jesus says to Thomas, here Thomas, touch. Here Thomas, feel. Don't be unbelieving, 
but believe. And Thomas sees and believes and says, My Lord and my God, Adonai, Elohim. And Jesus in John 20, 29 says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Peter's writing to a group of people being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. They are suffering because of the name of Jesus, because they bear the name of Jesus, because they are called Christians. And yet, they love Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. If you're persecuted because you bear someone's name, why would you keep on loving them? You should revile them. You should not want to be identified with them anymore. They're bringing persecution upon you. But these people love Jesus even still. They believe in Jesus. They have joy. How could this possibly be explained? How is it possible that some of the most joyful Christians in recent history are also some of the Christians who've suffered the most? People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. People like Corey Tenboom, people like Mother Teresa, they're known for their joy and they're known for their suffering. What's the explanation? I think it's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I think Peter is saying, Look, you know why you've endured? You know why you love Jesus, you believe in Jesus and have joy? Because those are fruits of God's Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, which is faith, gentleness, self-control. Peter says, look, the Spirit of God is in you, and He's alive, and He's at work. That's why you're enduring. That's how I know your faith is real. You see, the gospel doesn't just offer us blessings from God. The gospel doesn't just offer us forgiveness of sin, pardoning of our iniquity, no more curse, no more penalty, Adoption into God's family. The gospel offers us God himself. God gives him his very self through the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't just have eternal life. We don't just have adoption into God's family. We have God himself. And according to verse 8, you know what that produces in us? Much leaping. Joy inexpressible, illogical, and filled with what? Doxa, filled with glory. There's a transcendence about this joy. It transcends your circumstances. And if we were to visit our brothers and sisters in Iran, in Syria, Egypt, in Iraq today, you know what we would find? Much leaping. Much leaping. They have joy, inexpressible, because of the presence of the Spirit of the living God. And there's some of you here who cannot comprehend why anyone would feel this way about Jesus. Why would I feel this way about Jesus? Why would people in this room 
feel about Jesus, this way about Jesus? Why would people on the other side of the globe feel this way about Jesus, especially when they're oppressed because of his name? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus suffered more than anyone who ever lived. You know how I know that? Because he was separated from God on the cross. No living human has experienced separation from God. Total separation from God. No one has experienced that. I'm not saying God's in everybody, but he's around. And we do not yet know what it would be like to be totally separated from the living God. Jesus suffered more than any human who ever lived. He gave up his reason for joy. What was Jesus' reason for joy? Relationship with the Father. He suffered more than anyone who ever lived and gave up his reason for joy so that you and I could have joy in the midst of our suffering. That's why we would feel that way about Jesus. And faith in the good news is the only thing that will provide that kind of joy for you. If you don't yet know Jesus, I want you to hear me clearly. When I'm talking about joy, it's a much leaping, inexpressible, filled with glory kind of joy. It's not power of positive thinking. It's not, oh, every you know, great cloud has a silver lining. It's not that. It's a transcendent, deep joy, and only through faith in Christ can you experience that kind of joy. And today, Jesus offers that to you. He offers you joy. And he actually offers joy to every person in this room. Whether it's you're, you're trusting in Jesus for the first time, or the 50th time, or the 5,000th time. Jesus offers you joy today. But in order for you to experience true joy, abiding joy, Spirit of God kind of joy, you have to take your eyes off of those things that you're hoping in to give you joy. Because they won't. You need a new story. A story that's not about you. You take your eyes off of money and time and family and relationships and the Seahawks and you put your eyes on Jesus. Now those things are good. They're all good gifts from God made to be enjoyed. But they're not ultimate things to give you ultimate joy. Apart from faith in Jesus, there is no salvation. There's no cleansing of sin. There's no forgiveness. There's no adoption. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no deep joy. I want to close this in prayer and I want to give every person an opportunity to respond to Jesus wherever you're at. And church family, I, I want to encourage you. You have endured suffering and Jesus is being glorified in your midst. You have endured. Do you know how I know that? Because you're still here. You're still here. There's a hundred other outcomes that could have resulted. But you're here. And you're here because you love Jesus. I want to encourage you with that. And I want to encourage you to grieve and to rejoice. So let's pray together. Father, we know that we have been created by you and yet we have made mistakes. We have sinned, as the Bible calls it. We've fallen short of your glory, your doxa. In fact, we've tried to steal your glory 
And Isaiah 42, which Jenny read earlier, tells us that you won't share your glory with another. So we acknowledge that we need a Savior. We need forgiveness. And we know that when Jesus died, He died in our place on the cross for our sins. And we want to put our faith in Him again as our ultimate hope, as our ultimate salvation, and as our ultimate joy. Set us free from joyless Christianity. That is not what you've called us to. Set me free. Set me free, Jesus. I want your joy in my life. And I thank you, Jesus, that through faith in you, we are forgiven, we're made whole and clean, we're adopted into God's family, the Spirit of God indwells us, and that he produces love and joy and peace in us. So, Spirit of God, would you tug on every heart right now and lead us to repentance, changing of our mind about the things that are going to save us. Lead us to faith in Jesus afresh. We bless your name. Amen.